Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy... This was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024, the 1077th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So happy new year, everybody. Here we are in 2024, a mere 10 months away from an American election that is going to decide the fate of the free world and indeed all free people for centuries or even millennia to come. Or that'll be a massive rug pull 
and our relentless focus on a whole bunch of things that really don't matter and often are totally fake will render us useless in responding to all of the many attacks and psyops that will surely be headed in our direction this year, or as Glenn Beck, a psyop himself, says, psychop. We must be prepared for the psychops. And who better to tell you what is and is not a psyop than Glenn Beck? So we have 10 months to go until this very important, probably rigged election, but hopefully not, hopefully not. And I spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks thinking about how I wanted to approach 2024. I was thinking about it before this little break. I thought about it over break, and I'm still thinking about it. It's going to be an important and disruptive year one way or another. And I want to be able to hit the ground running and be delivering good shows that do not keep my audience trapped within that central narrative bubble, because it seems like we're about to have a replay of 2020, and I don't really want to do that again. I'm guessing that you don't either. And one way we can make sure not to do that is by focusing our energy on things more important than that central narrative so that we understand bigger, more relevant issues. And when people get focused on that central narrative, we can then say, no, you know, I really don't think we need to have the mask argument again. Just understand it doesn't work. Never, ever comply. Never give anyone social credit for their compliance. And if anyone tries to enforce those kinds of policies, you give them hell. We don't actually need to win that argument. That argument was won three and a half years ago. And it's important to maintain a focus on that kind of stuff. People by and large know that masks don't work. They don't want to do it again. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to be made to look weak and stupid in front of other people who they know are going to be judging them. They're trying to bring masks back for health facilities in California. The answer is just say no. Oppose these people anywhere you can. Use mocking and derision. Rub it in their faces. We're not going to do it again. Why? Because no adult human should do something so undignified. You do not need to bow down as an obedient subject of the regime and hide your face declaring that either you are a vector of disease or you believe that everyone else is. It's pretty sick. So you just bow out. We don't need to spend an entire year talking about why. Just say no. Because it actually doesn't matter if we're winning or losing that argument, in quotes, if we just say no. If you make it impossible to enforce mask wearing, then nobody wears masks. We don't need to turn to the science to figure these things out. And we don't need to waste our time providing links and sources for people who just can't seem to understand it. And they can't take your word for it. And they still don't understand what's going on. Just say no. They're not going to get it. It's been over four years now. That little 19 in the COVID-19, yeah, that was 2019. Now it's 2024. It was four years ago that we were doing impeachment hoax number one. Donald Trump being impeached over the Ukraine stuff. The investigation into Joe Biden's corruption in Ukraine. That's what Donald Trump was impeached for. And when that didn't work, what happened? We got the very deadly pandemic 
immediately. And they want to do it again. In fact, I think we're going to see all of that stuff again. Slightly different form, although they're going to go pandemic. There's only one pandemic playbook. They can tell you about different symptoms. They can find new ways to kill people in hospitals. They can probably even poison the public in a variety of ways. But none of it is going to be a real viral pandemic. And a good way to know that is that it's not actually true that they are more likely to tell you the truth in an important situation. In fact, it's just the opposite. They are far more likely to lie to you about every single detail when it is an important situation. And when it's really important, when they tell you it's an existential threat like climate change or nukes or pandemics or AI, or as I'm sure we will see this year, a cyber pandemic and a polycrisis, it's almost definitely a lie all the way down to the foundation. All of these crises are man-made and they tell us that man actually has the capacity to create his own existential threats and then follow through on them. Now, hey, maybe they're right. Maybe we are going to destroy the entire world and ourselves with it. And maybe all of these methods for doing that are being reported to us honestly. But <laughs> you see, if they're not, then they're basically able to control societies around the world just by threatening these sorts of things. And unless you want them to win, unless you want them to get everyone back on the same page, the best thing you can do is simply opt out of the drama. And you can also laugh at the people who are engaging with it, basing their entire lives about what they see on television, convinced that they have to obey the government at all costs. And it's even more true if the government tells them that they and everyone else are in danger if they don't obey. Four years ago, we already had reports of this viral contagion spreading throughout China. And people were just dropping dead in the streets. Just one moment walking along, the next moment <laughs> dead. Now, I had a very quiet New Year's Eve this year. Nothing like the New Year's Eve celebrations from my former life when I was working in Hollywood nightclubs and doing celebrity relations. I used to host New Year's Eve parties. And 2019's New Year's Eve party was at the same place it had been for the six years prior, a bar in Hollywood. And each year I would be on the microphone doing the countdown and before the countdown, I would give a little speech thanking the bar owners and all of the staff and making some jokes about my friends, trying to entertain people for a couple moments while the clock counted down. And then we would do 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Happy New Year. And I remember my speech from the last night of 2019 as we ventured into the first seconds of 2020. I remember saying, this is going to be a very weird year. Try to listen to each other and be nice to each other. Because we already had pandemic talk. We already had Ukraine impeachment talk. It was going to be an election year. And it was pretty clear to me by that point that something was seriously wrong with the Democrat Party and with the liberal agenda that I now understand much differently than I did then. But we had already had a couple rounds of Black Lives Matter. We had 
nearly three years of the Donald Trump presidency. We had Me Too, all of these massive upheavals in our social culture, and Hollywood was coming undone. The people out there were losing their minds. Things seemed as though they were heading for some sort of breaking point. Everything out there is image, including and especially politics. And I think although people, including myself, failed to recognize it at the time, we could have seen the beginnings of an awakening even out there just based on how crazy the people setting the tone for the public conversation were getting in public in ways that were obvious to everyone but them. And of course, the reason for that is that it becomes harder and harder to tell that same story as people begin to realize the entire story is false, including these people's own peers, of which in certain cases I was one. These people aren't in the game of being publicly disagreed with. They are supposed to put forward a position and then get credit for that position. And if people disagree, well, then those must be bad people. And if you have enough cultural power to enforce those ideas, then you do that and you are just a good person forever. Even back then, you could see that their grip on the public conversation was slipping away. People were tuning out the content. They were tuning out the award shows. They were tuning out the political messaging and people were starting to feel like they got scammed. And then a couple of months later, you have COVID and everybody is back on the same page, except for, you know, we conspiracy theorists. So I'm thinking about what I want to do in 2024. One thing I'm absolutely certain about is that I don't want to spend my time talking about the details and arguing about the details of complete and total fictions. I don't want to run through all the reruns over again just to point out how they are reruns and that we have this or that certain added detail that proves our case even better than before. Hey, guys, we've already proved all these cases. If you have people around you that don't believe you and aren't going to listen yet, they're not going to do it because you have three or four more extra details on one of these stories. They have already turned themselves off to all of this unless and until their real lives are affected by it. And I hate to say this because I know it's a bit depressing, but sometimes you are able to affect their lives and get them to wake up by silencing yourself. Sometimes you just have to give them time realize you're gone and contemplate why, because they know that you haven't changed your mind. They know that they didn't win an election. So where are you? Why aren't you still sending them links? That's not something that they can debunk. That's not something where they can go to their favorite sites and find the opposite opinion. That is something that they're going to have to think about for themselves, and it's going to cause them to deal with their emotional response. If you've spent the last four years trying to convince these people about who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs, and they haven't figured it out yet, then you're not going to change their mind on Russiagate with the facts. They've had those facts for seven years. They don't care because facts aren't how they're making their decisions. So sometimes you just have to walk away for a little while and let them know that you will be there when they come around.
If you have told them the truth and been kind to them throughout this time, they will eventually come to you if and when their ego will allow it. And if their ego won't allow that, then they're certainly not going to read your links and sources and just one day be like, okay, well, you have supplied me with enough articles from redstate.com. And now I understand that Donald Trump is the true and legitimate president. It just isn't going to happen, or at least it won't happen that way. But they are getting close. Some of them will have that breakdown and react properly. And by that, I mean, they will say, oh, wow, I guess I'm actually wrong about all of it. How can I possibly be wrong about all of it? I don't know, but I guess I am. That's about the reaction I had that started the night Donald Trump was elected in 2016 and then continued through the beginning of COVID until I was like, oh, wow. I was way more wrong than I ever thought. All of this stuff is wrong. And by the way, we should all be able to say that there is great joy in realizing that you were wrong about something because the process of discovery opens up at that point and you can figure out what the world is really like if it was not the way you thought it was before. And when you reach that point, if you're anything like me, you're met by a lot of hope because usually when you get critical things wrong, it adjusts how you're approaching your life and how you're pursuing your goals and even what your goals are in the first place. And understanding that you were wrong about something foundational allows you to just rip away the whole structure and begin building from the bottom up again. Understanding that while what you had may have worked for a certain time, it was built on nothing meaningful. And in order to have that lasting happiness or contentment or satisfaction, you actually need to build on something that gives you a strong foundation. And that's not possible when you are wrong about everything down at that foundational level. We talked all the time in 2021 about redeemable communists, what I called redeemable commies. And it was all of these people who have spent their lives under the sway of the central narrative and under the belief that this global regime and this global project were not only real and possible, but the best possible outcome. The whole world would live in peace and harmony. All of these people waking up, understanding, no, this is not how societies could ever possibly function. In fact, this is the road to the permanent cessation of human liberty. This is full control of everything, understanding the global plan, no borders, full tracking of everything incorporated digitally into your being right now, just on your cell phone, but later in implantable technologies, chips, maybe something like Neuralink. That is where a certain segment of the world is headed and wants to head and tells everybody, hey, this is where we want to head. And within that digital identity, you'll have your medical history. You'll have information on whether or not you're up to date on your subscription to the gene therapy technologies. We have a huge focus on mental health now, so they'll have your mental health history as well. And of course, you're going to be seeing doctors by phone and by Zoom and by text. So when you want to deal with mental health issues, well, there's going to be an entire record of you 
claiming that you have all sorts of mental illnesses and they'll have that. And you're going to have your currency on that same identity or digital wallet, however they incorporate it. And they can turn your money on and off anytime they want. Of course, they can change the value of your money. They can also make your money like a coupon that expires after a certain date. You'd better use your money on foods, only the approved ones like crickets, or else it's going to expire and all your hard work will be for nothing. And in fact, if your money works that way, then you're never actually going to be able to hand anything down to your children. And of course, they don't want you to have children. And if you keep having them anyway, well, then they're going to subject you to some sort of depopulation. Will it be a vaccine? Hey, maybe. Will it be an obsession with pornography that you never wanted in the first place? Hey, maybe. Will it be your total inability to form relationships in the real world? Maybe. But they'll figure out a way to suppress population increase one way or another. And of course, they're going to make that part of your social credit score, which they'll also have in that digital identity. They'll know what you looked up online and who you talked to in text messages and in chat groups. And they'll have that whole history. And of course, with your location data, they can know who you're around and who you're talking to. And they have plenty of devices that can just listen to you either on your person or around the room. So they'll know what you said in person and who you said it to. And all of these things will make up your social credit score. And then they can decide where you go. And the agenda just goes on and on and on and on and on until they have absolute full control. They can make sure you don't move around very much. They'll have the 15-minute cities. They'll have the electric vehicles. They'll say, hey, you've been sharing disinformation on the internet, and now you're not allowed to go outside of a 25-mile radius from your home. The total cessation of human liberty. That is where we're headed. That is where we have always been headed. All the normal people are equal to all the other normal people. And by 2030, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. And neither will anyone else, not anyone like you at least, because you all have to be equal. Of course, everyone in the regime, everyone who helps the regime, everyone who does the regime's public relations and communications like the celebrities and the athletes and the musicians like Green Day's Billy Joe Armstrong. In their ridiculous little New Year's Eve performance on network television saying he doesn't want any part of the MAGA agenda. Oh, you're so punk rock. Well, all those people are going to be very well taken care of. They're going to be very rich. They're going to be very famous. They can do whatever they want as long as they never violate the standards of behavior and communications the regime has set out for them as a condition of maintaining the glorious lives they live. Communism is just feudalism marketed to poor people. They're not going to help you out. If you think they're trying to create a better society for everybody, you're not gonna make it. At this point, it's going to be very, very hard for people who are still arguing on behalf of the regime to realize they're wrong and incorporate that in a way that is going to allow them to turn around and then try to make a positive contribution to publicly own it and say, I was wrong about all this stuff and I actually want to be the good person I thought I was trying to be before. And so I'm going to turn around and I'm going to help to make this thing right. Now, I hope that we have a bunch of those still to come.
whatever percentage of the population is still asleep right now, some chunk of those people, when all of this comes to affect their real lives, some chunk of those people are going to wake up. They're going to become redeemable communists and they're going to actually be helping us in short order. And they'll approach things wanting to learn and wanting to contribute, not trying to simply acquire power and maintain prominence for themselves. So we hope for the maximum possible number of redeemable communists, because that is what's going to help propel us forward and usher in the American Renaissance that I've been talking about for years. I do believe we are on the verge of that. People are horrified by the thought of systems that we have relied on for a long time simply breaking down or failing to exist any longer. But when the system isn't rigged to prop up certain groups at the expense of all other competitors, when that dynamic goes away, all those other competitors exist in a more free and open space with the opportunity to usher in something new. And I think we're going to see that over the next few years in all walks of life, from art to our currency, to our politics, and maybe even in certain ways to our form of government itself. Even just the tearing down of the federal government's bureaucratic state as it exists, that administrative state, that deep state, just the tearing down of that will create all sorts of opportunities. As all of their ridiculous and manipulative rules and regulations and processes just go away. So in thinking about how I want to approach 2024, I know that I want to be focused on bigger issues and trying some different methods of communication, trying to produce some different kinds of content. I want to refocus on writing, as I've said a bunch of times, and I have refocused a little bit on that over the last two weeks, nothing published, but positive momentum in that direction. I also am going to try to figure out how to finally start some sort of call-in show. And I think maybe the place for that will be locals. I want to keep the community small and to subscribers only, at least initially. And just to be clear, I'm not saying I want Substack subscribers to go subscribe to another platform. This is where, for now at least, for the foreseeable future, I will be based and people who want to support me, please support me here. I don't charge for the content. As I say in the intro of each episode, all of these episodes are available for free to everybody, usually about 36 hours after I first post them. There is probably going to be an ad model going on the free version of the show very soon. So Substack subscribers will continue to get the show the moment it's available, continue to get the ad-free version. And then when I am able to set up the live streaming platform for the call-in show, I imagine that I will probably be able to figure out a way that I can take all of the paid subscribers from the Substack and move them over to locals or some similar platform with the same with full access for a number of months or whatever. I still have to get into the system and figure it out. But I certainly don't want people to be paying for multiple subscriptions to follow me to different places. My thinking on this subscription model has always been the same. I don't want to charge people for the content, but I also need to be able to pay for my life while I am doing this full time. 
And so if you value what I do and you want to support, you simply sign up on Substack and support at whatever level you'd like. I am being sincere when I say at the beginning of the show, if you can't or you don't want to, just listen to the show a couple days later. I certainly don't want anybody who is worried about whether or not they can afford to support the show worrying about money just to get the show. So I want to try to focus on big issues on this podcast, and I'm still toying with the idea of changing the format of this a little bit and maybe not doing five days a week so that I can spend some time talking about current political events and then also spend some time actually talking to people and listening to what they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Naturally, I think it's still important to wake up all the people who can still be woken up, but I'm not sure that's my role. I'm happy to do that, but I'm not the right person, especially not to wake up people who will not be woken up this point, except through events that affect their own lives in serious, emotionally jarring ways. So I think maybe that would be a better focus for a live call-in show. And on a show like that, we can focus more on the news of the day rather than focusing episode after episode of this podcast on that news of the day type of information. We should be prepared this year for an absolute bombardment of bullshit and false flags and fake news, anything to get everyone back on the same page. Right now in the world, we have earthquakes and terrorisms happening. And if you want to go off and learn all of the details about those stories, I'm not going to stop you. I'm just not going to do it myself. There are certainly plenty of places where you can find such shillery, like the Daily Wire today. Here is the Daily Wire's front page. First, a banner ad for Lady Ballers their movie that stars the entire cast of The Daily Wire and is written, directed, and produced by The Daily Wire's Jeremy Boring. This is a comedy movie about men playing women's sports. The Daily Wire, of course, being the world's leading producers of trans content, are very proud that they know who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs. The top story on their website right now is about Claudine Gay and how she's set to resign as Harvard president. Oh, they sure showed her they're going to replace this one Harvard communist with a different Harvard communist. As long as they can protect that endowment and the value of an Ivy League degree, you wouldn't want to hurt that brand without those credentials. The prominent members of the Uniparty would have no accomplishments to point to when people say, hey, why should anyone listen to you? Oh, it's because I'm from Harvard. And by the way, what is their problem with Claudine Gay? Oh, she didn't come out hard enough on enforcing safe spaces for Jewish students at Harvard. Because now it's very right wing to support cancel culture so long as it's on Israel's behalf. Here are the other major stories on Daily Wire today. This is just the page. No scrolling, just the page when you go to dailywire.com. Number two, House Republican Scalise endorses Trump. Well, okay, but also who cares? California schools push kids to watch films on transgenderism that showcase puberty blockers. So, wee-wees and hoo-hahs, Daily Wire. 
Gotta have it. Biden appears to forget he loves ice cream in softball Seacrest interview. So it's January 2nd. This is from the New Year's Eve message. Ryan Seacrest talking to Joe Biden and Jill Biden. Ryan Seacrest asks the fake president what he's been eating on vacation. And Joe Biden lists off some Italian foods, realizes he just wants to say Italian food. And then Jill, who is dressed in some drapes with sequins on them, or I'm sorry, Dr. Jill, reminds Joe Biden that he's also been eating a lot of ice cream. And Biden affirms, yes, it's chocolate chip ice cream. And the fifth headline on dailywire.com, the censorship is ramping up. Libs of TikTok says account was suspended from Facebook. Oh, another censorship story about Libs of TikTok. It's like Libs of TikTok is an info op only designed to be the hero in stories about censorship all the time. Because that's what censorship really is. You hear these stories about the government enforcing censorship standards. But let's not worry about normal people and their ability to spread truth about what they believe and about what they are observing in American culture. No, 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 no. What they really want to censor is an account making deranged communists look stupid by reposting the stuff they already posted. That's the real target of censorship. By the way, Daily Wire, oh, the kings of making retarded communists look stupid. Ben Shapiro absolutely slams and utterly decapitates college sophomore in brutal takedown of feminist economics. Oh, wow. Wow. Did Ben Shapiro do that? Wow. And by the way, I would be remiss not to share this clip that emerged over my little holiday break where Tucker Carlson says the exact same things I say just months or years later. Remember how stupid everyone thought I was for saying that Ben Shapiro wasn't actually a conservative hero? Well, here's Tucker Carlson laying it out. I, I don't really care, but I, I did think it showed like the level of not just corruption, which I knew, but of like emotional instability and craziness. I mean, there are people, and I stopped reading any of it, but there are people on the right who have spent the last two months every single day focused on a conflict in a foreign country as our own country becomes dangerously unstable on the brink of financial collapse with tens of millions of people who shouldn't be here in the country. We don't know their identities or the purpose of their being here. Like stuff that could destroy the country for real and make it impossible for my kids to live here. They've said nothing about that and they're focused with laser intensity on foreign conflicts. And I'm like, at some point, I've got four kids. If I'm so caught up in the problems of my neighbor's children and completely ignoring my own children as they get addicted to drugs and kill themselves. You know, I'm not against helping my neighbor's kids, but clearly I don't love my kids. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's the only logical conclusion and they don't care about the country at all. And that's, you know, that's kind of their prerogative, but I do because I have no choice because I'm from here. My family's been here hundreds of years. I plan to stay here. Like, I, I'm shocked by how little they care about the country, and including the person you mentioned. And I, I can't imagine how someone like that could get an audience of people who claimed about care about America, because he doesn't, obviously, right? Right. So I know that I don't want to get stuck in that conversation. That conversation is an op. And the fact that all of Con Inc., 
all of the influencers in the media piles on to that exact same position, along with Ben Shapiro, should tell you that they're in on the op too, or that they are operating on the same sets of incentives. Whatever it is that they're pursuing, it is not the truth of the situation. And we should not kid ourselves into believing that's the only op going on on what seemed always to be, quote unquote, our side of the football. Again, we're talking about people who have been wrong on absolutely everything that truly, truly matters. I mentioned Russiagate and Ukraine impeachment hoax earlier. They took all that stuff seriously. They helped form in the minds of the public the idea that Donald Trump actually might be guilty of all those things he was being accused of while knowing that he wasn't. And then they went in on COVID and masks and lockdowns. Oh, they protested a little bit about certain parts. Oh, you're not allowed to force us. That's what the Constitution says. But we should go along with all of it. Because that's what the science says. And we are smart people who believe science. We trust science. We trust the experts. And therefore, even as conservatives, we believe that you should wear a mask and you should get vaccinated. In fact, Ben Shapiro tweeted out, just get the vaccine, dopes. And then, of course, he apologized for it, you know, years later after he told his audience of millions to go out and get it. And of course, he was wrong about 2020 election fraud and our stolen elections in general. He was wrong in trying to hold Trump accountable for those. He was clearly helping Rob DeSantis. How many things do these people need to be wrong about before you realize they're not trying to tell the truth? They're not trying to help you. And it's amazing, isn't it? How confident they always are, even while being wrong. I would much rather spend my time saying, Hey guys, we live in a very, very complicated world. We can't always access the right answer. We can't even be sure there's only one right answer. But what we can do is talk about what we know and what we observe and what we think. And then we can think about all those ideas collectively with open minds and say, hey, I'm trying to figure out the answer to a really difficult problem. I'm going to take in as much information as I possibly can. And I'm going to try to rid myself of all my prejudices and presuppositions so that I don't wind up just thinking in the same cycles and processes that I have over the course of decades. And I don't want to reinforce that in public, in society, thus encouraging other people to fall into those same habitual thought patterns that we have been coached into taking on over decades now. So I really don't want to be stuck in that cycle. I don't really want to be interacting with the central narrative, even on the lower level that I've been interacting with it over the past few years. I don't think that we need to pretend that virtually any of these stories we're being told about in the mainstream actually matter. Now, I get, I really do get, and I've put this argument forward a bunch of times, that there are still important morals to draw out of these stories. And sometimes even the mainstream discussion is able to get at some of the proper morals of the story. Usually that's 
in kind of a limited hangout sort of fashion, they have to make certain admissions to continue being taken seriously at all. So sometimes those battles are won there. I don't mean to diminish that, but I really don't think that we need to spend our time down there in order to wake people up again. They're not going to wake up because you sent them some links or some sources or a new episode of a podcast. People need an emotionally jarring moment, and then they need to know that there are people around them who care about them, who will be there for them when they have had that moment and they realize that they've had enough. And I imagine that everyone in my audience is prepared to be that for someone else. And that is wonderful. But I reject the argument that they need to track the central narrative for years and years in order to slowly wake up as if we are able to decide for other people what they're prepared to deal with, what they're prepared to believe or understand is true. I don't think we're doing people favors by saying, oh, they're not prepared to hear that yet. I don't know how anyone takes on the responsibility of deciding that for someone else. I think it's wrong to deny people information that they need in order to make better decisions in their life, to intentionally deprive them of information. I think we need to simply commit to telling the truth all the time as best we can discern it and say when we don't know things. And the truth is most things fall into that category of things that we just simply cannot know for sure. But that's not to suggest that we can't pursue truth and that the pursuit of truth isn't valuable in and of itself. I believe we can pursue truth, and I believe that the truth itself is valuable, as is the pursuit of that truth. I want to know what the truth is, and I want to form habits that help me reliably figure out what it is, or at least get as close to it as possible, or at least in the process, discover information that will help me make decisions at crucial decision points in my life. A point I have made now for the nearly four years I've been doing this show is that we are dealing with people who refuse to consider whether or not they might be wrong on questions concerning issues about which they know absolutely nothing. And a major reason for that is that they have developed lives with a degree of comfort that makes it so nothing that has happened in the last few years of all these concurrent crises at one time, the greatest period of crisis in American history, and their lives have not really changed. In fact, in many ways, they've improved. They get to work from home now. They've responded to incentives. They've done what was asked of them by the regime. And now they are able to reap the rewards in great comfort. That moment where all of these crises eventually touch their lives still has not occurred. That's how comfortable they are. They have not yet considered whether or not they might be wrong about things they know nothing about and will admit they know nothing about. Once they share their links and sources, Once they've repeated their two or three levels of slogans, they will eventually get mad, shut down, get angry at you, leave the conversation, or just say, you know, I don't know why you focus so much time on these sorts of issues. There are more important things in life. Or the classic, I can see you've spent a lot more time on this than I have. 
But I just don't agree with your conclusions. If you're waiting for them to say specifically that they don't know what they're talking about, you're going to be waiting a long time. But they are telling you. And we really do need to understand this dynamic. It matters whether or not you are able to discern the correct answer when faced with matters of great importance. And if you are consistently unable to reach the proper conclusion on matters of great importance, you might not be that smart. Or maybe something is just absolutely wrong with your mental processes. Maybe you're responding to incentives, or maybe you just have a really, really bad information flow. But all of those problems can be remedied when you actually realize, oh, hey, I'm, uh, I'm wrong a lot. I got to figure out why that is and work to correct it. As many of us have done over the last eight years with Donald Trump in the political spotlight and absolutely in the last four years of constant crisis. It's hard to say a person is smart if they are constantly wrong every time it actually matters. And so when I look at the conservative incorporated GOP establishment and elite mainstream media, the very popular conservative in quotes podcast sphere, the Dave Rubens and Megan Kelly's and Jordan Peterson, the Daily Wire guys, the blaze people. They're all talking about the same stories at the same times, all coming down with the same conclusions. And those are shared and disseminated by all the quote unquote conservative influencers online. And they all get on the same page about all the same stuff, usually around positions that MAGA would agree with. But then they also all seem to hate Donald Trump and all of Donald Trump's supporters. And whenever Trump and his supporters are on the opposite side of an issue the Uniparty really cares about, well, then the Uniparty right and the Uniparty left, they agree completely and they tell Trump and his supporters that they are stupid and evil and bigoted and racist and science denying and vaccine denying and all the rest. Or they're in a cult or as Steve Dace said, they're idolaters, these conspiracy theorists supporting Ron DeSantis, pretending that there is some elaborate conspiracy to keep Ron DeSantis from becoming president, even though he's what the people really want. They are always on the side of the regime, always opposite Donald Trump. And for whatever reason, people still think of them as allies to the American people when they are, in fact, in every way, allies to the regime. They can talk about the Constitution all they want. They can talk about Thomas Sowell all they want. They have their heroes. They will talk about them all the time. And on the basis of those claims, they are, quote unquote, conservative, even while supporting the uniparty agenda in the global communist regime, a hundred percent of the time. There is nothing conservative about that. And of course, they often agree with the neocons and neoconservatism is an outgrowth of Trotsky. If you support the uniparty political establishment and you support their agenda, then you support the agenda of the global regime, that global regime dedicated to the implementation and the achievement of a one world international liberal rules based order. That means there aren't borders. So they are wrong all the time, 
on purpose in favor of a global communist regime. And for whatever reason, people in our movement continue to think, oh, yeah, they're our allies. They're on our side. We need them. We can't afford to anger them because we're going to need their votes. We're going to need them back in the fold after these primaries are over. And we need to defeat Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. In a rigged election, you need to defeat Joe Biden. And in order to do that, you need all the people who said Joe Biden is a legitimate president and won last time and have continued to argue that in order to support someone who's not the duly elected president and rightful winner of that 2020 election. Those are your allies and you need them. Well, then grovel. You are going to continue getting table scraps and crumbs from these people because they are not just wrong about the big positions. They are on the other side. And if you're able to reach the point of understanding that, then you should apply the same principles in all similar cases. If they are wrong intentionally about something important and siding with the global regime, while calling you the enemy on an issue like the very deadly pandemic or the very violent insurrection or the stolen election or the Ukraine war or paragliding go-karts, then what else are they intentionally wrong about? Where else are they siding with the uniparty left? Where are they only supporting the uniparty agenda and that global regime? And the truth is they're doing it at all times knowingly or unknowingly, because they are still trying to achieve status advancements within the party of false decorum. That is their motivation. It doesn't change based on the issue. They will align with systems of power because that is how they intend to acquire power. They assume that if they support the system of power, the system will eventually repay them for their support. So simply apply that to the conversation that they're having. Are they having the most important possible conversation? Well, no, because it is not their goal to produce the truth for you. It is their goal to support the systems of power, whoever is empowering them. And it's certainly not the people who are paying them upwards of a million dollars a week to constantly be wrong about everything and keep people attached to that central narrative. I would encourage you, if you are listening on Rumble, to search for a video from me with the same graphic. You'll see the same graphic on the video, but it's called Ben Shapiro's Diner. I would encourage you to take a few minutes and listen to that. You will understand exactly where I'm coming from. But it's not just the conclusions on the big issues that show them to be allies of the regime. It's the stories they are talking about in the first place. They involve themselves in every aspect of the mainstream info op. And it is an info op. People talk about QAnon being a dangerous psyop. I wrote at length on this. You can find those essays on the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can find me reading them. On the podcast from back in September, I believe it's all under a story about reality. Just type that in the search bar and you will find it. But the point was Q or QAnon is absolutely a psyop. And it doesn't matter to me whether it was run by good guys or bad guys, whether it had good intentions or bad intentions. All that matters to me are the net effects. The net effects are a lot of people have woken up to 
deep, dark truths about this world, and they've begun to learn how to discover and discern these certain truths for themselves. That seems to me to be a pretty positive consequence of something we are told is very dangerous and very violent and, of course, very racist and all the other things. And on the other hand, you've got the mainstream media, which is absolutely a psyop. All of them have intelligence agents embedded within the organizations, and they are quite clearly misinforming everyone on purpose in service of the advancement of that same uniparty regime on behalf of that same global regime. That, my friends, is a dangerous psyop. And everybody on the uniparty left and uniparty right agrees that no matter where you come down on these stories, the important thing to know is the stories are true. And again, I fell victim to this for most of my adult life. With the unbelievable deluge of information that we are all awash in all the time, 24 hours a day, year round, have been for decades. With all that information, we eventually need to form these cognitive ciphers just to make sense of any of it or to have time to try to figure out what's important. And one of the shortcuts most people use and that I certainly paid attention to was that a way to figure out what was true in a situation was to see what the uniparty left was saying, see what the uniparty right was saying, and then figure out all the points where they agree. Because if they're agreeing, well, that thing must be true. Both sides are agreeing, okay, this part is true. And then what they do, of course, is express their opinions. The uniparty right will tell you how the uniparty left can't do that thing that they want to do, at least not in the way they want to do it. That would be unconstitutional or or it would make no economic sense or they would have to raise more taxes to do it. And you say, no, we can't allow them to do that thing. And then the uniparty left says, oh, those uniparty right people, they don't really care about taxes. They will spend your money just on other things. And they would care more about spending money on this thing if they weren't dun, 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 racist. We were coached into believing that the uniparty left and uniparty right are talking about stories for which there is an underlying truth that they both agree on, but they are arguing about which opinion is right. And that's what we are encouraged to do. Figure out which side of each and every issue we come down on. There might even be seven sides or 10 or 12. There's all these different viewpoints about this issue. And I'm going to figure out which one is mine. But what we're all going to do among these 12 varying viewpoints is agree that all of the factual claims in the central narrative are true. And that is consistently where we make the mistake. Because the opinions don't matter. The regime is going to press their agenda forward and the implementation of that agenda forward in all circumstances. Whichever side we come down on, whichever viewpoint we adopt, it is our agreement that the underlying claims are still true that allow them to advance. If they do something that people don't like, they say, well, hey, you know, Sometimes you just don't get your way and that's 
what we have elections for. If you're upset about these things that we are doing, what you're going to have to do is go out there and win an election. And that might be legitimate if the elections weren't stolen. But of course they are, because why would the most powerful people in the world leave it up to me and you to decide how their lives might be restricted? They would never allow that. So it does not make sense to attempt to figure out where the uniparty left mainstream media and the uniparty right mainstream media agree about the underlying claims and then assume that those are true. But you can assume that those points at which those narratives merge, that's the thing that the global state's propaganda media wants to make sure you know and that everybody knows and that everybody agrees with. And here's an example. On one side of COVID, we have the natural origin story. The very deadly pandemic started with a bat from a cave in China that ended up as part of someone's soup in a wet market. And on the other hand, a virus emerged after having been bioengineered at a lab in Wuhan through gain of function research. And that argument has been playing out for three years and they still don't have a conclusion. Isn't that incredible? First off, the very deadly pandemic was the greatest failure of science in all of history. If it came from a lab, that is a failure of science. Even if it emerged from nature, the response would have been a failure of science. The very deadly pandemic was the greatest scientific and by the way, political and moral failure in all of human history. It was Nazi doctors doing what Nazi doctors do. Both sides, though, regardless of where they thought the virus came from, they were still 100% certain that it was a virus. It was a pandemic. All of the pandemic aspects were real. This was a very deadly disease that must be dealt with. They agreed on all of those things. And it's quite possible that viruses don't even exist. But you couldn't possibly reach that conclusion by listening to the mainstream media. You would be absolutely certain that the pandemic was everything they told you it was, but you would have a different opinion about the origin. For the last three years, we've basically witnessed a contest about who is team natural origin and who is lab leak theory. And even the people who are out there doing COVID truth about treatments like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine or the truth about masks or any number of other COVID related topics. How come none of them are questioning the existence of viruses? Oh, right. Because that's the one thing that both of those uniparty regime propaganda media arms, you know, those people who are wrong about everything intentionally all the time in order to support a global regime's agenda. That's what those guys all agree about. And it just so happens that if they're right about the existence of viral pandemics, well, that means that they really do have this existential threat out there in the world. They're trying to save us from. And of course, the only way that they could possibly save us from it is if we turn over all of our money and power and all our control authority to whom to them, to the scientists, to all of those people who agree Absolutely. There's no question about it. Not that you can talk about it. You can't talk about it. Everyone needs to agree that viruses and pandemics are exactly what they say. For some reason, we are still convinced 
that they must be telling some underlying truth between those two stories. And so we look for the places they agree and we figure that thing must be true. I would suggest to you that that is the point at which we should understand this is what they want me to believe. We can't imagine that two massive groups of people that seem to encompass virtually everyone could possibly spend all their time arguing particular points of view about an issue that isn't even real. But then we might stop and remember that society has coached us into that as well. I know that most of you probably aren't large consumers of pop culture, but of course, when I lived in Hollywood, I absolutely was one. And I remember back around, I don't know, 2010 or something when those Twilight movies were a big thing that people were declaring whether they were team Jacob or team the other one, Eric or Taylor or whatever his name was. And they actually had teenage girls and young women arguing about which aspects of these fictional teenage vampires they found more appealing. And you might say, yeah, well, they all knew it was fiction. This is different. Yeah, it's different because people don't realize this stuff is also fiction. It's not because this stuff is real and that's fiction. It's because people don't realize when the fiction is being told to them as though it were news. The place that the uniparty left media and uniparty right media converge, that's not the place where truth is. That's the place where they're telling you what they want you to believe. Then what is the right move? Assume that that thing absolutely is not true. They are lying about that thing. And that does not tell you what the right answer is, but it should give you a good idea of where to start digging. I was thinking about how amusing it was yesterday that people continue to freak out about certain things that Donald Trump says. And one of the funniest parts of that to me is that the people who are freaking out constantly have one or two little pieces of evidence that they believe work in their favor. Donald Trump will have said something at some point that they will use and say, look, Trump said this himself. Therefore, you have to believe what I'm saying now that I have Donald Trump's own words on my side. And they always expect the response to be, oh, yeah, you got me. Oh, gosh, Donald Trump said that thing. I guess you're right. And everything else I know is totally wrong because Donald Trump said that one thing over the weekend. There was a freak out. Donald Trump said that the FBI should remain in Washington, D.C. rather than build this hugely expensive facility outside of Washington, D.C. And the Ron supporters and FBI whistleblowers and Miranda Devine began piling on Donald Trump. How could he say something so stupid, which is what most of those people say about almost everything Donald Trump says. Ron DeSantis supporters all piling in to let everybody know how mad and sad they are that the bad orange man said another bad thing. Donald Trump was supposed to agree with all of them that the FBI was totally corrupt and should be immediately abolished, and he should not even talk about keeping them in Washington, D.C. So all of the people 
who are wrong about everything, believe that Donald Trump is now what? A tool of the deep state because he's not saying the right things about FBI headquarters. Why is it that they want to move the FBI headquarters outside of Washington, D.C.? And why is it that Trump wants to keep them there? That's the only thing that matters. So why are all the uniparty right media figures and influencers going out and trying to pile on Trump and score points against Trump? Now, maybe it's good controlled opposition and the public is going to have to think about whether or not the FBI should be maintained as an institution. So I suppose it's possible that they're all doing this consciously for a productive reason and Trump is just going to take the hit for a little while to allow the conversation to happen. Many such cases or these guys are trying to make sure that people in the general public do not side with Donald Trump on this issue and eventually, sometimes unwittingly, end up supporting the FBI being moved out of Washington, D.C. And that's what the uniparty regime seems to want. The Con Inc. supporters that always side with the uniparty regime are still taking the anti-Trump position without making the positive case. And just like that, they have shown themselves to be on the side of the uniparty once again. And what can we learn from this? I was thinking about it yesterday and I posted about it and I said a good way to let everyone know what's true is to advance every possible position on an issue and see which position makes all of the world's most evil people and organizations freak out at once. Whatever that position is, that's the thing people need to know. The thing the regime will do everything it can to prevent people from knowing. Someone able to produce truth like this consistently would be the greatest producer of unearthed truths the world has ever seen. If only he could reach an audience and people could intuit or learn this dynamic. This is why attacking Trump over something he said never works. He has divulged truth about everything in exactly this way. And again, many such cases. Trump will express publicly a variety of viewpoints, and then he will allow the public to see how everyone reacts to them. Because no matter what Trump says about virtually any issue, there will be people out there prepared to loudly disagree with him and to make a huge deal about it and to try to figure out what exactly it is that makes Trump's statements so evil. Consider when Trump first whispered the sanctimonious immediately an entire info op exposed itself. All Trump had to do was suggest in public that Ron DeSantis may not be the greatest governor the country has ever seen and the perfect man to be the next president. And nearly all those people who lined up on the side opposite Trump are the same people who've been wrong about all the other major stuff and the people who are consistently focused almost exclusively on the mainstream narratives of the day. I do not want to spend my time focused on those topics, figuring out all the details, like what are the important aspects of Claudine Gay's resume that I need to communicate 
publicly in order to get the university president of Harvard fired so that she can be replaced with someone else? Is that what I need to spend my time doing? Of course not. And you don't either. And the truth is no one does because we don't need to have a big win on anti-wokeness to protect the Israel narrative and applaud all of Con Inc. for their vicious takedown of Harvard President Claudine Gay. Who cares? So I don't want to spend my time doing that. I don't want to spend your time telling you what I think about those subjects. But hey, if it's important, call in on the call-in show and ask. Or if you're a Substack subscriber, you're more than welcome to comment and say, hey, I really think you should pay some attention to this issue or that issue. All good. Can't say I'm going to do it, but I'll at least understand that you think it's important. I may not spend time on the show about it, but I'll at least give it a second look. Now, as part of my desire to shift focus away from those ancillary central narrative stories that become the focus of so much Con Inc. media and all of the influencers around Con Inc. media, you may have noticed that I deactivated my Twitter account. And there are a few reasons for that. I want to run through them briefly. I've got extended explanations of this decision. First, from Friday's episode of Badlands Daily, that would have been Friday, December 29th, and then the December 30th episode of Devolution Power Hour. I discussed at length why I deactivated the Twitter account, and much of it is about the censorship that's on there and the fact that the incentive and punishment structure on that platform continues to push all of these very, very stupid stories into positions of priority within the public conversation that happens there in what we are told is the digital public square, but absolutely is not. Before I went on the little holiday hiatus, I talked about the info op that was run in December. Alex Jones interviewed by Tucker Carlson, then allowed back on Twitter. Then Tucker launches his media network. And all of that is just one happy conservative media sphere. And of course, Elon Musk must be praised for returning free speech to Twitter. You see, Alex Jones is allowed to make posts there. That means we have perfect free speech. Elon Musk, quote unquote, bought Twitter, the greatest information weapon in the history of man for $44 billion from billionaires who use it to control the world. Sure, he did. And then over the course of 15 months, he has returned free speech to the United States of America, except none of that is actually true. And if you're going to present me with an info op to convince me that it is true, while I myself have been banned from the platform and am still heavily censored, well, I might eventually think this thing's a trap. And then as that wound down on the last weekend Before Christmas, I was on the Twitter profile of my friend, Josh Lakash. He hosts a show called Wrong Opinion, and he is occasionally a host on InfoWars. He posted a video of a high school kid in a Cornell sweatshirt who was checking to see 
if he had been accepted to Cornell, if he was going to follow his dreams to Cornell University and probably eventually become a powerful communist who gets wealthy by destroying the world. That is what Ivy League colleges are built to produce. and Nothing could be more obvious. But the kid had decent marks. He was in the range of applicants who were admitted to Cornell. He had a bunch of activities and accomplishments to fall back on. The only problem was that he was white or maybe he was Jewish. I couldn't really tell. And those Ivy League schools, well, they don't really like white kids. They don't need them and they don't need Asians either. That is what we have learned for the last few years about Ivy League institutions, and they have been sued for it as well. And of course, just this past year, the Supreme Court struck down affirmative action, which had been used for college admissions in the past. So the implication of the video is this kid doesn't get into Cornell because he's white. And I say in the future, he will probably look back on this moment as one of the most important and fortunate events of his life. His dad is in the video looking over his shoulder, hoping that his son is getting this thing he wants so badly, this thing he has worked so hard for, that all of his hopes and dreams will be fulfilled. The kid is clearly ambitious. He got good grades in school. He's got all sorts of activities. He knows what he wants to do in his life. He's probably a hustler. Maybe getting rejected by Cornell will make this kid double down on all his efforts. And this sad event will lead him to find true success and happiness in his life. Maybe he needs that little chip on the shoulder, something that's going to make him work just a little bit harder than everyone else. It sucks that things didn't go his way, but he's going to rebound and have a great life. That was the point I was making. Nothing could have been any clearer about my comments. I'm not sure how else anyone could have taken it, but oh, someone found a way. Some weird account that goes by Theognis of Megara who is actually a real historical figure, a Greek poet. The Wikipedia entry notes that the poems, the verses preserved under Theognis's name are written from the viewpoint of an aristocrat confronted by social and political revolution typical of Greek cities in the Archaic period. So just an interesting note about what this account might value or might connect with. But an account responded to me thinking that he was going to dunk on me as a conservatard who doesn't understand that the replacement theory is real. The guy assumed that I was trying to downplay the role that this kid's white skin may have played in preventing him from being accepted to Cornell. And of course, that's not what I was doing at all. I was actually saying this kid doesn't actually need them. He would have a better approach to life if he was just like F Cornell and kept on going, you know, actual empowerment instead of victimhood, regardless of whether or not one is a victim. Now, naturally, if on Twitter you are going to use the quote tweet feature to try to dunk on me to your audience, if you have almost 11,000 followers, as this account did, I'm not going to take kindly to that, especially if you're misunderstanding me intentionally or otherwise. And I do believe it was intentional because he thought he could make a big point and make one of those maggots, those anti-education people look real bad. Now, this Theognis of Megara account 
may have a great education. It's possible that this person attended a better college than I attended or did better than I did, but it's not very likely. This person assumed that I was denying replacement theory, which I would never deny. It's obviously part of the agenda. It's just not the whole agenda. It is not the goal to simply replace white people with black and brown people or with Asians. The agenda goes well beyond that. And if you focus on what the agenda is at large, you can solve these subsections of that agenda. We don't need to pretend that the replacement theory issue is the only issue that matters as these people do. And that was the point he was trying to make along with making the point that these colleges were actually so important that white people should not cede entry or majority to other races within Ivy League institutions, that you are actually a race cuck if you say, hey, these kids shouldn't be going to these colleges in the first place because they're worthless and indoctrinate people into communism. That, I believe, is the right position on these colleges, not Let's replace their presidents and make sure enough white kids can go to these indoctrination centers. That's crazy. So it's very weird to be extremely pro-college, but also be extremely white nationalist, isn't it? I mean, that is what we're told. And of course, these people try to define themselves as to the right of MAGA. These are the people who really know what's up. And so naturally, him misreading me and misunderstanding what I was saying, then writing posts that don't address what I was saying at all and actually make him look stupid. Of course, I'm going to play around with that, call that out and post that up. And so people from my following began to interact with those posts if they could. Many of them found as soon as they began to interact, they would find themselves blocked by this account. Some of them found that even before reacting, they could simply search out this account and go to his page and they would be blocked. People were blocked by accounts they had never interacted with and that I had never interacted with until that account began posting my replies, trying to make me look like a fool. Now, if you think that what I'm describing is social media drama, you are missing the point. What I am describing is a tool of conversational manipulation. It is possible that Theognis of Megara spent time going in and individually blocking anyone who interacted with these posts or with his account during that time period. Except I kept getting reports of this happening. Numerous reports. You can go look at the threads. You should probably be able to look at the threads. I don't know. Maybe you can't now that my Twitter is deleted, but I'm not making this up. I'm not sure if it was 40 or 50 accounts or if it was 70 or 80 or if it was over 100, but there were a lot of accounts who were blocked by this Theognis of Megara account either before interacting with him at all or upon interacting with him. And this happened all throughout the next night and over the course of the next couple of days. So was this person sitting at his computer for 12 or more hours at a time over the course of days, just awake all the time, middle of the night, middle of the day, doesn't matter. Just blocking, blocking, blocking anytime anyone interacts with these posts. 
or was it something else? And I would suggest that it's something else because nobody has that much time to deal with each and every account that likes a post that they put on their own profile. So then there are two options, both of them very bad when considering the state of censorship on Twitter. Either they are accessing a third party auto block feature, which should not be allowed for use on that platform. And considering how Elon Musk has acted in the past regarding third party applications and their access to Twitter's platform, it should be easy to get rid of these things. But apparently it isn't. It is possible, I suppose, that an auto block feature could have been used to automatically block any of my followers that ended up on that page or engaging with those certain posts. I suppose that's possible and should not be allowed. But it's also possible that this sort of thing is happening algorithmically within Twitter. And if that is the case, that is very, very dark because it is probably being used far more than I have noticed. Now, the Theognis of Megara instance that I'm talking about is not the only time I've ever noticed this. I have noticed this with none other than Kurt Schlichter's sock account. You might remember I discovered his sock account back in August or September. The account's name is And I'll Whisper No, and it's like dedicated to Milton Friedman. And Kurt uses it to troll people who are bothering Kurt Schlichter. He will switch over to his other account and act in ways that he would not act on his main Kurt Schlichter account because he would think that acting that way is embarrassing. It is beneath him and his public image as a very serious intellectual in conservative politics supporting none other than Ron DeSantis. So one way or another, we know the Ron thing is an op. And one way or another, we also know that this weird white nationalism thing that is trying to mask itself in the clothes of MAGA, that's an op as well. Now, in the past, there have been third party applications that people can just purchase or access that will allow them these auto block features. And some of that has been covered over the years by various media outlets. People could be added to groups on Twitter, for instance, and then you could block the entire group and you could let other people know, here's a list of accounts worth blocking, block them all. You won't have to deal with these accounts. And my Twitter account had been blocked by so many blue anon accounts. But the funny thing is in this Theognis of Megara issue, I'm still not blocked. Everyone else who interacted with it via me was blocked, but I was not blocked. So we have some sort of automatic feature on there that is capable of protecting certain narratives on certain people's pages. And think about how this works. If I can't go comment on that page, which everyone has right to do, he could block me, but he didn't. So if I can't comment on that page and have my followers see it, and he can do this whenever he wants to accounts who are undercutting his narratives that he's pushing out, then he is able to make it look like the things he's saying have far more support than they do and far less opposition than they do. And when this is happening in favor of two fairly obvious regime ops like the Ron DeSantis op and the white nationalists as MAGA op, you really have to wonder what the commitment to an open and accessible public conversation Elon Musk really has. 
I look at my followers as they come in each day. I look at the likes and the interactions. So much of it is anonymous accounts, obvious bot accounts, crypto spam accounts, porn bot accounts. And that's not even getting to the info ops that exist on there, like NAFO, like this Ron thing. I'm sure there are similar ops for all sorts of issues I don't know about. And then there's the fact that a bunch of these accounts that act as though they are human seem to be AI. They seem to be repeating the answers created by large language models. All the while, the worst and dumbest people who are wrong about virtually everything are pushed up to the front and incentivized and literally paid to lead the conversation on Twitter. And I'm talking about people, of course, like Ian Miles Chong and the Krasensteins and Mario Knopfel. And if they're all being terrible online to wake people up, great. I'll shake their hand and pat them on the back and say, sorry, I ever doubted you retards. But right now I have no reason to believe that's the case. I have every reason to believe that they have simply spent the last three, now nearly four years learning around the intellectual kids table, where the discussion of a whole range of topics is totally disallowed. You cannot say the no-no words at the intellectual kids table, or you're going to get in trouble. And because these people are attention farmers, they want to be big on social media. They will comply with whatever the new rules are, and they will just not talk about those things. They will not say the no-no words as they've been asked. And because they don't want to feel like sellouts or feel like they're clueless, they will pretend that what's being discussed at the intellectual kids table actually accounts for all of the possible information and all of the possible viewpoints. And they will then act as the gatekeepers of information, making sure that no one else will say the no-no words either, because now they've achieved positions of prominence within that false reality that exists on censored social media as they sit around the intellectual kids table. So we have a very dumb conversation that is being led by basically the worst people in the world, uniparty propagandists who have been spreading uniparty propaganda for years. They all come together to oppose Trump and MAGA on virtually every issue of critical societal importance, always lining up on the side of the regime and eventually being proven wrong. They are incentivized for their positions and rewarded handsomely with wealth and status and power within the party of false decorum. And they are almost exclusively occupied with tickle fighting their controlled opposition on the uniparty left over the details of complete and total fictions. So you got that going on. Then you've got the censorship and the shadow banning, the barring from certain features. I'm not allowed to do Twitter subscriptions. My account is not eligible to have ads placed next to it so I can share in that sweet, sweet Twitter revenue. So we are treated like second class citizens. And then with all the bots and the fake accounts and the sock accounts and the AI accounts, there's no way to know which engagement is authentic in the first place. And I am not interested in becoming a big, important influencer on social media about politics. Ooh, I'm going to have all the best hot takes. I'm going to get so many followers. 
So ultimately, what is the point? The conversation is not smart enough over there, and it is censored. And if no one ever leaves, then everyone basically says the censorship is okay. And a lot of people actually believe that because they can't stop praising Elon Musk all the time whenever there is a new public relations event to let everyone know how free the speech on Twitter actually is. Elon Musk takes on Jonathan Greenblatt, NDADL. He takes on Bob Iger of Disney. He takes on Media Matters. And good for him, except those grand displays don't actually make Twitter a free speech platform. None of it has made Twitter a free speech platform. You will know it's a free speech platform when you see standard issue villagers immediately snapping back to reality on a massive scale, not learning and accepting three years later that what was true three years ago actually is true. That's what we have happening at Ben Shapiro's diner. It doesn't matter if people accept that they shouldn't have gotten vaccinated three years after they got vaccinated. It matters that they're getting good information and asking the right questions in advance of them taking it in the first place. Waking up doesn't mean you eventually come to the right position on a certain set of issues. It means that you have returned to thinking for yourself and analyzing information for yourself and thinking about yourself and your family and your community when you are making decisions, not simply choosing which side you're on out of two false and manipulative options. So I asked last week on Twitter if anyone could make an argument to me about what has improved on that platform since Elon Musk became the face of Twitter, whatever that is, and whoever's behind it, with one caveat, that the answer could not include, we're allowed to talk about some subject now. Oh, now we can talk about how the vaccines aren't good for you. Therefore, this is totally free speech. Or we don't get suspended for talking about election fraud. Therefore, we have totally free speech. Except that's not free speech. Because as Elon Musk said when he hired Linda Yaccarino, and as she said, Twitter's policy is freedom of speech, not freedom of reach. They declared their right to continue to manipulate the conversation algorithmically, advancing viewpoints and words and expressions that they found nice and acceptable and quote unquote valuable to the public conversation while limiting the reach of those words and those ideas, those expressions, those accounts that didn't support the sort of conversation they wanted to have, which seems quite obviously based on the incentive structure on that site to be whatever the mainstream wants to talk about, being able to talk about a formerly verboten subject doesn't actually matter if no one can see you talking about it. If I post on my page something that could not be said before, but can be said now, I can see it appearing on my page. If that is all that X, formerly Twitter, can possibly provide, that's not anything. That's not what anybody goes there for. It's so that they can say things and other people can see them. And now I know that my posts are seen by people who interact with my account a lot. And every now and then they're seen by people who don't interact with my account a lot. And I'm talking about just my followers right now. There are plenty of my own followers who don't see my content. 
So if I'm not able to quote unquote reach the people who have chosen to follow me based on the things I'm saying, do I have freedom of speech? Well, I certainly don't have freedom of speech according to the First Amendment to the extent that X, formerly Twitter, is associated with the government. And we can clearly see that's true. So how are we supposed to take all of the public relations stunts trying to convince the public that Twitter is a free speech platform? Constant PR stunts to convince us of that while knowing that the conversation is manipulated and censored, that people we know, members of our Badlands community, were never able to get back their original accounts. Their original accounts with all of their followers are still banned. Myself and my friends still find ourselves heavily shadow banned and censored. If there is a way that free speech has improved on Twitter over the last 15 months, I'm not aware of that way. I pay as much attention to that platform and how it works as any normal person without actual access to Twitter. I used to be a partner at a celebrity social media management company. And I used the platform almost exclusively to see how that platform was able to manipulate the public conversation and also to pursue a soft war style strategy, a party of false decorum informed strategy on how to influence that conversation myself. My goal was quite obviously never to amass the most followers or get the most attention. And the strategy I was pursuing should be pretty clear proof of that. But regardless, a free speech platform would not manipulate the conversation to stop what I'm saying. And many of my friends take Twitter a lot more seriously and act a lot more quote unquote professionally on there. And they have the same problem. So it's not a free speech site, yet we still have all the PR stunts, which means that for whatever reason, We are being gaslit about our access to basic elements of our human rights and constitutional rights. And we should be able to be honest about that. No one should put up with that silently. And I find that a lot of people on our side are doing exactly that. They're not deleting their accounts, and I'm not suggesting that they should. They don't need to do things the way I do them. But we have people praising Elon Musk for the free speech site that is not a free speech site because their motivations are attention farming. And of course, all of that is under the guise of engaging on the information battlefield in this information war that I and everyone who listens to this show, I'm sure, do not doubt is true. I understand we're in an information war. I've talked about it relentlessly on this podcast. I understand that X, formerly Twitter, is part of the informational battlefield. It's just not the whole of it. It's not the only battlefield. And at this point, I don't see it being the best possible use of my time to remain consistently focused on interacting with that part of the digital battlefield. Now, Elon Musk actually creates a free speech platform on there. I am more than happy to get right back on. I would love to be able to effectively reach people, but I am not going to try to game that system for attention because I know how to game that system for attention, and that's not what I want. 
Regardless, people tell me the plan is to be on this digital battlefield and you can't leave this digital battlefield. And my response is that any plan that may be in place, if it is a good and moral plan, cannot have as an aspect of that plan people who understand censorship being silent about censorship. It is the First Amendment for a reason. And if we don't make the First Amendment work, well, then there's another one right behind it. But that's going to have a whole series of consequences that we would rather avoid if we can, which is why it's very, very important to keep that first one intact. And if you really want people to know something and understand something and wake up to something, then sometimes you actually have to make them feel it a little bit. And sometimes that means you have to go away for a little while so that people can feel the absence of your presence. And this can be true in your relationships with your friends and family who you've been talking to for these many years without them fully coming around. Maybe just stop talking politics to them for a month. What do you think is going to happen? Are you going to lose all those advances that you've made that nonetheless have not gotten them any closer to actually waking up? We need to achieve the big goals. We need to get the right wins. We don't need to try to get every single win just because a new issue has been proposed by the mainstream media each and every day. So this is what I'm thinking about the approach for 2024. I wanted to reclaim my time from that social media platform that I do not feel to be particularly useful right now. And again, maybe it will become useful again. Maybe in a few months, the restrictions are much less and my time on that platform might become more valuable. It was actually hilarious yesterday. Jack Posobiec quote tweeted a Ron DeSantis post saying you sound vaccinated. So I deactivate my account from X, formerly Twitter. And Jack Posobiec, of all people, tweets out you sound vaccinated. And then not long after retweets John Harold Patel Patriot for the first time. Hey, Jack, what's going on, dude? Hit me in the DM. I'm always open for a chat, but thanks for using my meme. So I want to reclaim that Twitter time and direct it elsewhere. I want to go on other alternative social media apps like Telegram, Truth Social, maybe Gab. I think definitely going to spend more time on Getter. There are these other platforms, and I would like to explore the potential of those platforms and change my information flow back to more of what it was in 2021 and 2022. Because while I think that I learned a lot of interesting things on Twitter in the last 15 months that I was on that platform, and I think I had some fairly significant wins, I think it was really important to expose that Ron DeSantis op and the presence of Con Inc. Media on there and what it is they're doing. I don't think that I am more informed about what is going on in the world from Twitter. I actually think that Telegram is the best app for that, at least for me. I actually think it's beyond just me because of the format, but at least for me, Telegram is the best app for learning and sharing information in the most efficient ways. I'm at least a little worried that most of the people in our community are back on the same social media platforms we were on back in 2020 
the very same platforms that enabled the regime to stifle the entire conversation. Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. You can throw TikTok in there, of course, less of a presence in 2020. And I've never been on that app to begin with. But how are we finding ourselves four years later after this experience, putting our eggs in the basket of legacy social media platforms? I just don't get it. And I'm not expecting anyone to follow me. I'm not even encouraging people to follow me. The only thing I encourage is engaging with your information sources in positive and proactive ways. Be conscious about it. We all tell ourselves we need these platforms. We need them for work. We need them to be informed about society. We need them to stay in touch with our family. We make a range of excuses. All of those positive benefits can be achieved and attained in other ways. You can actually just stay in touch with your family. You can actually get information about the world in places that are better than Twitter. And while you might need that social media app for work, you might be leaving yourself in a very vulnerable and unfortifiable position by tying your professional future to your status on legacy social media apps. So I want to redirect that time toward writing, toward a deeper consumption of information rather than the moment to moment back and forth that sites like Twitter encourage. I want to develop some sort of live interactive video feature. I don't know if it'll be on Locals, by the way. It might be on Rumble. It might be on Getter. I want to find a way to make it a home for my Substack subscribers so that I'm able to do some of that rather than always be having this one directional audio podcast. I want to open up a more direct conversation with people who are not only trying to understand what's happening, but trying to figure out what they can be doing about it. Because again, I think that we're about to have some sort of replay of 2020. People are going to get the opportunity to make these decisions in a different way than they did back then. And a lot of people are going to be faced with that moment where they finally have to decide whether they've had enough. I think that figuring out how to positively direct that energy toward the things that we really need to accomplish this year is a more interesting problem to solve than how to make things go viral and get attention on Twitter. A lot of people are going to be freaking out and they're going to need people to turn to and they're going to need to understand what's going on and have all that stuff placed in context. Now, I'm not saying that they should immediately jump to my show. They're not going to know what the hell I'm talking about. But you could start them back in 2021 or 2022 so that they can understand in a real way. Oh, yeah, people actually were talking about the truth of all this way before we ever knew it. And we were ignoring those people. That's an important realization. We are in a period of societal upheaval, and there has to be some sort of come down for that. We have to figure out what that's going to look like. Many people are fairly certain that we're going to have currency problems and maybe a financial collapse. We're going to need to be thinking seriously about what is next there. I'm becoming more and more convinced that the answer to that question is Bitcoin, or at least involves Bitcoin. And to that extent, I want to understand it better, and I want to be able to be better about communicating it so that others can understand it better. I think we are in the midst of a spiritual awakening. 
I want to spend time thinking about that so I can communicate better about that so that other people can understand that because we are ahead of a lot of people in our thinking. And that's not a brag. It's just a matter of the things we think about. If we're not getting caught up in who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs, because that is the most basic fact of nature, and literally everyone knows it. The problem is not that they don't know. The problem is that they're lying. We don't need to applaud ourselves for knowing it or even being able to say it because we're not children. All you have to do is say it and move on. If part of the awakening is understanding how much is actually fake, then at the end of that process, you ultimately should be focused on those things that are real. And we're going to have to figure out how to do that if we want the big wins. Yes, we have to get the truth of our elections out there to the public. That is important. Winning elections is important, but only if they are legitimate elections. Winning rigged elections is not important. If we lose a rigged election, then we're going to have to figure out how to react to that because we're certainly not just going to accept that and stop and go home and grovel. And I think it's harder to accomplish that if we are getting sucked into all of the ridiculous, pointless, distracting conversations that all of Con Inc. Media and the influencers around them are having on a day-to-day basis. In a year from now, no one is going to be thinking about the creepy little dude on the Bud Light can or who the president of Harvard is. Winning, quote unquote, at politics is good. Winning the awakening is so much better. And we can do that. We can have major breakthroughs throughout this year. And as soon as one of those major breakthroughs occurs, it will be obvious to everyone that Donald Trump would win and will win any legitimate election. But that will not be the point at which everybody gets to go back to sleep. We need to stay well ahead of that game and anticipate what is next, focused on what is real. Because as I said in my countdown remarks on New Year's Eve 2019, we are in for a weird year. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range.
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture if you'd like to support the podcast financially the best place to do that is kofa go to ko-fi.com slash i'm your moderator and all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode i'll see you soon down on the range It's hell!